Okay, well, I'm going to start up here for our sermon today. I very rarely get to see you eye to eye, those of you who are in the balcony, but it does feel quite nice to be able to look you right in the eye. I like that. What I'm going to do today is to try to give you both a visual and an audio replay of the journey of faith as the Bible describes it. The Bible is the definitive guide to understanding what it means to live the life of faith. And so we're going to use the whole stage as a way of, as it were, ingraining the picture in our hearts and minds. The scriptures make it very clear that at the very beginning, we were in a privileged position. We were in a high and exalted place with God, walking with him in the Garden of Eden. And there in the Garden of Eden, we experienced an intimacy of fellowship with God that has never been experienced by ordinary human beings since the time we left the garden. And the reason we left the garden was because we saw something that caused us to want to be independent from God. We, we saw something that, that caused us to reach out and declare independence from God. And as we stepped away from that intimate relationship, God saw fit in his goodness to ensure that in our rebellion, we would not be able to come back to the place of intimacy without him making a way for us to do that. But there were examples in scripture of those who decided that even though they lived in this veil of tears, they would walk with God. In Genesis chapter five, very soon after Adam and Eve have been sent out of the garden, after their expulsion from the garden, there's a man called Enoch in chapter five. And there in this very brief story is the beginning of a word picture that will carry us through the scriptures and help us to understand what it is that you and I need to do today and tomorrow and through the rest of this week. It says, Enoch walked with God and as he continued to walk with God, he walked right back into the presence of God. Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. Enoch learned a foundational lesson that was passed on through the generations to the great women and men of faith. And so we come perhaps to chapter 12 in, in Genesis and we see the story of Abraham and Sarah and they walk with God and God walks with them. And as they, as they continue through the valley of struggle, through the veil of difficulty, through, through challenge and opposition, 
they learn the foundational lessons of what it means to be one with God. Their name is changed. They carry a scar that is a permanent reminder of their relationship with God. Circumcision is given as an indicator that they are forever changed because now they're the people who walk with God. But as they walk and God fulfills his promise to them, they learn that in the valley of struggle, there are sacrifices that need to be made. And the sacrifices that need to be made are sacrifices that release them from the independence that was expressed at the beginning of the journey. Sacrifice is merely an opportunity to free ourselves from our independent nature and fall into the hands of a loving God in whom we are able to trust completely. And so when the long-awaited promised son arrives for Abraham and Sarah, God says, you have to give him up. You have to give him to me. And so this young boy walks with his father. He carries the wood. His father carries the fire. And they come to a mountain near the city of Salem in the mountains of Moriah. And Abraham raises up an altar of stones and places his son tied hand and foot on the altar and is about to kill him. But as he seeks to fulfill, even though he can't imagine that God would want this from him, as he seeks to fulfill this radical obedience, God calls out and tells him not to do it. And now he knows that he trusts him completely because he's prepared to sacrifice the most precious of gifts. And a ram is caught in the thicket. And the lamb is offered on the altar. And Isaac goes free. And so the people of God, having found in their, in their mother and father Abraham and Sarah a model to follow, they begin to journey with God. And you see all of these other great saints of the Old Testament scriptures. You see Joseph, who is called by God to rule on behalf of him so that he can rescue his people through the work of Joseph. And we discover with the story of Joseph what it means to look to the future hope and yet struggle through the difficulty of the, of the daily task of obedience. And in that daily task of obedience, Joseph comes to the realization that the thing that God has given him in a way that is beyond anybody else's ability, his capacity to receive and interpret the dream world of, of the ancients, 
Joseph realizes in the midst of his struggle and suffering that in his own strength he can't do it. And so when he's asked by Pharaoh to interpret his dream, he says, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he requires. And as he gives the interpretation inspired by God, so Pharaoh says, how can we go anywhere else except this young man to lead us? Because in him is wisdom and the spirit of God. And so Joseph finds the means by which God uses him in his humility to save his people. And then we see the story unfold and eventually Moses emerges and sets the people free by, by liberating them from slavery in Egypt. And they make their journey through the desert to the promised land. And as they journey, they worship. And as they worship, they see a glimpse of where it was that they used to inhabit. Because in the tabernacle, the portable temple in which they worship, there are the symbols of Eden. And there are the signs of what it used to be when God inhabiting the star chamber of heaven would conduct his affairs through his people, his representatives, Adam and Eve here on earth. Eventually, the journey takes them into the promised land. And there, in the midst of their struggle, they realize that they have to cleave to the Lord all kinds of great examples come our way. Gideon and Deborah. We see even people like Samson, broken and weak, showing us how it is in our weakness and in our frailty God can use us. And we see Ruth and Naomi, widows, the least of the least, finding grace in the midst of their valley. And then we come, of course, to David. And David, perhaps preeminently, points us to where we used to be. And in setting up his son to build the, the temple, the temple points the way to the future. But the future is never grasped. Because in the midst of all of the glory of victory... In the midst of all of the remarkable abundance of God's goodness to his people, they choose to wander away. They choose division instead of unity. They choose independence instead of submission. And they find themselves in bondage again. But even in bondage, there are the great heroes, Daniel and Esther, and they show us the way. And they, they teach us that even in the midst of our bondage, there is a God who will reach out and touch us with glory. And so the journey continues. And the people of God find themselves 
inexorably and it appears definitively captured in captivity. Just for moments are they released, but inevitably they fall back under the gravity of their own sin and they find themselves trapped. They find themselves without really any hope. Yes, they can rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They can regain some of the former glory, but they're still a vassal state in a giant empire. And it seems as though, even though they have the opportunity from time to time to be free, their tendency is always toward captivity. And then we have the silent years. The years between the Testaments. The years between the old and the new. The years when we find ourselves wondering, what is it that the people of God are up to? What are they doing? What is the story that they now live in? What's the place that they now inhabit? And we read at the beginning of the New Testament of an amazing plan that God chooses to unfold. What is the plan? The plan is this, that the Son of God, resplendent in glory in heaven, chooses to set aside his glory and to step down into the realm of humanity. And as he steps down from the threshold of heaven, he sees what it is that we need most. We need liberation from the one who first entrapped us, from the one who first tempted us, from the one who first gripped our soul and led us away. And so when Jesus begins his ministry, he begins it in battle. It's as though he rolls up his sleeves. He bears his, his arm and he wrestles with the enemy until the enemy has to submit. There in the, in the wilderness, full of the Spirit, Empowered by the word of God, Jesus gives notice to our enemy that our enemy's time is short. And so you would think that Jesus would come as this kind of conquering king. He's defeated the enemy in the wilderness. But instead of that, does something quite extraordinary. He takes on not the role of a king, but the pattern of a servant. And he comes among us in our valley. 
and he sees where we struggle and he chooses to share grace with those who are incapable of finding their way. He chooses to to touch people in their sadness. He chooses to reach down to people in their sickness. And he brings healing. And he brings deliverance. And he brings joy. Jesus, the pattern of what we will be called to become is the servant among us. And as the servant among us, he describes to us what it means to be a servant. Because a servant is not someone who shares with others what they have available. A servant is a person who has nothing available and only gives to others what is put in their hands. Jesus empties himself and becomes nothing. He takes on our appearance and comes among us as one who serves. Jesus to the disciples says, I have been among you as one who serves. A servant in the time of Jesus owned nothing, had no power, had no capacity, had no no ability to change any circumstance, least of all their own. Jesus says, when you see the kingdom unfold, I want you to live as servants and children, not owning anything, not having power and capacity to influence. In other words, Like Jesus, we are only to give to others what the Father places in our hands. The servant Jesus says this, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. And so he gives us the pattern of our life. And the pattern of our life is demonstrated to us by Jesus. Jesus who walked our valley, who embraced our veil of tears. And on the cross, paid the price that meant it was possible for us to receive a new life. Jesus died so that you and I could know God. You and I can follow Jesus. You and I can imitate his life. You and I are able to do what it is that he has done. And from the empty cross, of course, we're called to an empty grave And there at the empty grave, we see Jesus, the risen, resplendent Lord, on his way back to heaven. And here, 
in the garden of resurrection, he meets his first disciple who sees him in his resurrected form, Mary Magdalene. And the first of his disciples, Peter and John, begin to have the dawning realization that everything has changed. And as the story unfolds and they encounter Jesus, the risen Lord, and he tells them to wait, so they find themselves in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And the power from heaven that came upon Jesus who had emptied himself comes upon the disciples of Jesus Christ. And for the first time in history, human beings are permanently connected to the throne room of heaven without any break or hindrance. There's nothing that will intervene. There's nothing that will cut into. There's nothing that will prevent the connection that has been made by Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. There's nothing that can prevent us from hearing the voice of the Father and approaching him any time, any day. And so the church of Jesus Christ becomes the portal to heaven. The church of Jesus Christ becomes the gateway to glory. The church of Jesus Christ becomes the means by which the world can hear the message of salvation won for us in the person of Jesus by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection. But the church has a choice. Will it engage in the veil of tears? Will it take on the challenge of the enemy? Will it sing in the valley? Will Christians serve in the place of other people's need? Will they share the faith that has been won for them at such a cost? Will they walk like Jesus with the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, being a disciple of God is described as walking with God. In the Gospels, being a disciple is described as following Jesus. In the epistles, the language of walking is, is captured again. And Paul says, we walk by the Spirit. You and I are called on a hero's journey. We're called 
on the journey of all of the heroes of faith. And preeminently, the great hero of heroes, Jesus himself. We're called not to walk some other path. We're called not to come up with our own novel innovation. We're called to walk the path of Jesus. The path of Jesus, the journey of the hero, is the calling of your life. You've been called to glory. You've been called to heaven. You've been called into the presence of the living God and the creatures that surround the throne and the voices of heavenly angels. That is your destination. And that destination is so assured that the Bible has to use language that is used nowhere else in the world. It's a certain hope. It's a certain hope. This call that we have will be completed on the day that Jesus returns and we gather with every tribe and every tongue and every nation and all of the warring political factions who know Jesus. And we'll stand shoulder to shoulder with those who've walked with Jesus even though we've disagreed with them here. And those that have walked with Jesus will sing the song of the Lamb. And so our destination is assured our calling is certain but the choice that we have is whether we embrace the hero's journey the journey of our hero Jesus the journey of every hero in the Bible when you look at every story in the Bible of every woman or man of faith the same structure, the same narrative is portrayed to us. There is a calling. And at the very end of the story, there is a completion of the calling. And unless the hero has become wayward like Judas or Saul, that completion is absolutely certain. And so there is a call, there is a completion. And in the middle of the call, between the call and the completion, there is this challenge. The challenge of the valley. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Jesus said, I'll send you another counselor. I'll send you the paraclete. I'll send you the one who comes alongside. I'll send you one who's just like me, who you can walk with every day. 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the midst of the valley, there is one thing that is absolutely certain, and it is this. We are not alone. We're not alone. We may paint ourselves into the corner by our fears and anxieties. We may choose not to look to the heavenward call. We may forget that we've tasted the powers of the coming age. All kinds of things may be true of us as we stumble and in our frailty fall. But be sure of this, in the valley, you are not alone. And as you walk this path through the valley, you sing. You sing of glory and of heaven and of salvation that gave us the way to heaven. And you share what it is that you have learned of this Jesus. And you serve others as Jesus served. You find those that are discouraged. You see those that struggle with sadness, with sin, with sickness. You recognize the need for deliverance in those who are captured by Satan. And you notice that there are others who walk this way and you choose to lock arms with them and you choose in the fellowship of heroes. You choose in the fellowship of heroes to look for a better world. To navigate a path to a different destination than the one that the world offers. And you choose grace and kindness. You choose love and peace and gentleness. You choose not to hate those that disagree with you, but to love them into fellowship with Jesus. Here in the valley, we have all kinds of choices. We can find ourselves swept away by the choice to follow the pattern of the world and find ourselves pressed into the mold of everyone else's existence. Or we can choose to set our minds on heavenly things where Christ is seated in the heavens. We, we can choose to turn our eyes towards the destination and allow the hope to become faith in our hearts 
as the certainty of the hope draws us to the voice of the Father who speaks the word that produces faith and faith that moves the mountain. You and I are in the valley right now. Right now. And we await the glorious day when we see the gates of heaven flung open and the voice of the Savior saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But in the valley, there is a job. In the valley, there is a task. In the valley, there is a community of heroes. And the community of heroes are called to walk the path of Jesus, our hero. And it may mean that at times we feel as though we're broken on the cross of our struggle. It may mean that at times we feel like Paul that we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. But in the valley, we are not alone. The Father has sent Jesus. The Father and Jesus have sent the Spirit and the Spirit walks with us right now. And he wants us to be the instruments of change, not the tools of fear. He wants us to be the instruments of transformation, not the weapons of strife. He wants us to live the heroic life in the community of heroes, singing of heaven, sharing our faith and serving the last and the least and the lost. And the amazing thing is that he would choose us for such a noble task. He would choose people like us for such a noble calling. And so today, what is it that Jesus is saying to you? As you consider the heroes of the past, as you look again at the path of Jesus, and as you reflect on where you are in your journey of faith. What is he saying to you? Is he saying, open your heart to sing of heaven? Is he saying, open your hands to serve those that so need the touch of Jesus? Or is he saying, open your mouths and share a word of witness, a word of encouragement, 
maybe just a word of kindness that will set people on the path to seeking words of salvation. What is he saying to you today? Some days we just have to break the shell of our own individualism. We need to break the shell of our own troubles and difficulties and look out beyond to what it is, is the big story. And here's the big story. You have been chosen by heaven, honored by the king to carry his calling. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? If today that renewal of calling is something that you are determined to embrace and receive, then I'd like you to stand and pray with me. And if here in house or online there are internal obstacles, wounds, struggles, memories that hold you back from fully embracing the call. Then there's time at the end of the service for you to come over here to pray with the prayer team or in the Zoom room with Chad as you look at the link. You can you can get that link and join him and the prayer team there online. But it may be that, that this moment is a moment for you for the first time to acknowledge that this is the journey that you actually want to be part of. So join the others as they stand. Let's pray together. And if it's for you, then you stand with me. Lord Jesus, we want our attitude, we want the orientation of our heart to be the same as yours. You who in very nature are God, who set aside your glory, became nothing and adopted the position of a servant. Lord, we pray that our hearts and minds would be captured by all that you've called us to be. And Lord, as we're captured by all that you called us to be, we pray that you'd liberate us from all that would prevent us from embracing the call. Lord, we receive the call afresh today. In the valley, Lord, we choose to sing of heaven. In the valley, Lord, we choose to serve the least and the last and the lost. In the valley, Lord, we choose to share the story of salvation. And Lord, may we in the valley, in the community of heroes, may we, Lord, be used by you, honored by you, to touch the lives of many. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone says,